0: athletic Formula E hits the ton with Korean double header pile ups and pile ons in final race for the gen 2 car and a new world champion is crowned all this and more in the race Formula E podcast Seoul E pre-edition Hello, I'm Andrew Vanderberg, freshly back from my holidays and feeling nicely relaxed. Uh, thanks to Jack Nichols for standing in for me and showing how the professionals do it. Uh, good work, Jack. Uh, I'll be looking over my shoulder for next season, I have a feeling. Uh, joining me as always in what is a very special episode is Sam Smith, who's still in Seoul. Sam, you sent me a pic of that enormous building you were going up. Uh, are you still recording it from there?
1: Uh, I'm halfway down. I abseiled down, so I'm, uh, I'm I'm close to terra firma now. So yeah, all good bit windy but okay
0: (laughs) you're remarkably clear for that so well done um we'll discuss the the details of how the inaugural soul race is played out later but first i'm delighted to welcome our special guest formula e world champion stoffel van Dorn. stoffel world champion how does that sound
2: hello guys um yeah that that sounds uh sounds very good um yeah it's uh a world championship that's uh it's not given to 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 a lot of people and um i feel very lucky that i've been able to yeah to conclude this uh the championship this year
0: now we all know that formula E is as renowned for its off-track antics as the racing on it so i'm assuming that you celebrated in style with the traditional alejandro tequila challenge
2: um i i did yes um you know i was sat at the after party on the uh, on alejandro's table and uh, yeah he didn't uh he didn't make me miss one shot so uh Yesterday, yesterday morning was not uh, was not my finest morning, let's say. Have
0: you recovered now?
2: I'm fully recovered, back to it.
0: Uh, sport, professional sportsman for you. Now Sam, uh, Stoffel set a new record of eight podiums in a season on his way to the title. Just how good has he been this season?
1: Well, exceptional really. I mean, you know, he didn't put a wheel wrong at all in Seoul and the the pressure of going for a world championship is is immense and you know apart from the odd qualifying mistake this season which is always inevitable I think in Formula E over the course of a season I can't recall Stoffel really making any sort of serious series or serious errors of judgment all season in fact apart from a few. War wounds in London. I can't recall him with a particular damage on his Mercedes Silver Arrow. Yeah, he got he got Lucas a bit in Mexico in his one non-score, and then there was the the New York City log fluming incident, which uh, didn't cost him points anyway. So it's obviously that's obviously a significant contributing factor to building a title campaign, which has been you know, tremendous in its consistency. I think last weekend sort of encapsulated that. He handled it amazingly well. Um, I, I felt a little bit embarrassed actually myself when, when I asked him about the pressure and, and Mitch's win on Saturday. And it was just, it didn't seem to be in his mind. It was just a very level, um, consistent approach in in doing what he'd done all season. I think he and his team just looked completely in control uh, pretty much every stage. And in my mind, it was never really in doubt or, or nor should it be with that big a lead anyway. But looking back at D'Iria in, in January, which is now, what, eight year, um, eight months ago, it just felt like uh, there was an inevitability. You know, Nick won the first race um, and then, you know, Stoffel got the consistency and then after Mexico, it just went on this incredible series of, uh, of, of big points gathering. And even when he didn't get big points, he came back from you know, down down further down the order, like you did in Berlin and and in Marrakesh. So yeah, uh, just an exceptional job and and a sort of I suppose a case study in how you build and execute a a title
0: campaign. Stoffel, we'd had this four five way really close title fight all the way through, but the events of London meant you went into Seoul really as the heavy favourite. Did that like mean that you could go in there in a much more relaxed mood than it would have been if it's still been the four of you really tight at the top?
2: Um, it, it was definitely a little bit more relaxed. Obviously, you know, 36 points lead is, is a comfortable buffer, but I equally knew that you know Mitch had been capable of winning two races in Rome before, and, and uh, uh, I couldn't turn up sleeping. Let's say I, I still had to do I had to do my job, um, and yeah, that that was definitely on my mind. Um, I, I would say that actually the, the the few days leading up to to Seoul. Um, I, I definitely felt some some adrenaline, some pressure, and and it was definitely on my mind. But um, yeah, I tried to keep it as clean and as cool as possible, really, to to just focus on the job that I had been doing all season. And I think you know the approach that I've been able to have all season has um, you know it, it worked again in Seoul, and I qualified well, stayed out of trouble, especially you know I think day one was really important to stay out of trouble with the mixed conditions. Um, you know, so many people got it wrong and um, and I managed to stay out of trouble and I really needed that because Mitch won won that race. So, uh, yeah, I knew I had a comfortable lead but I knew that I had still had to do a job and not only for my championship but also for the team championship.
0: As Stoffel says there, Sam, you know, he, he knew he had to do a job but we've seen in the past informally e, uh, things go horribly wrong for people in the final race of the season but when it came down to it, he didn't put a foot wrong did he did it absolutely what needed to be done
1: yeah absolutely and you know let's not forget that the the mercedes package was i think pound for pound certainly the best and most efficient they'd honed it It it's a two-year homologation so they've they've honed it what was an an exceptional technical um product i think from last season anyway Uh, but i think really what probably swung it Stoffel's way was the this more hierarchical nature of the sporting format with the, the the qualifying and you know if you if you look at his qualifying stats from from this season i mean they're just absolutely fantastic you know there there was the yeah, there was the odd errors i mentioned before but you know everybody Formarie is just such that high pressure high stakes Everything, every little error that is made that is forgiven at a normal racetrack is punished at a, at a street track. And, and people are quick to forget that. And I think you've got to factor in certain elements of, um, of getting it wrong, particularly in qualifying. And when you do that, of course, it affects your entire day because the race is only three hours away and then you have to recalibrate and and go for it again. So consistency was the name of the game this season. And Stoffel was absolutely incredibly consistent during the, well, pretty much the entire, the entire season. You know, he had the most appearances in the duels and he just ticked off all of the attributes that you need to, to build a title campaign. Um, you know, whereas Nick in the, in the same package had a very different season. Um, but conversely, Nick sort of excelled last season when we had this crazy tombola kind of element to Formula E. So that's quite interesting that they've got back-to-back titles, um, but done it in very different circumstances in very different ways. But when I think uh, when I think of Stoffel's Championship, I think of naturally Monaco, which he won and um, won, won very well. But the the drives that stand out for me, there are two in particular. There was and I don't know what Stoffel thinks of this actually, but the the two that stand out for me were the Berlin race where he had a bad start and he fell back and came back through. And I know that his his engineer, his his new engineer, which also is an interesting story this season, with Stephen Lane, who came from Envision Racing to to Stoffel's new engineer, um, did say at the end of that race that that it was the best, probably the best Formula E race that he'd been involved with, involved with, and he'd won races with Sam Bird so many times as well with, when he was with Envision. And then the other one was Marrakesh when he had a uh, had a brake split in, in qualifying and came through and. Um, and and got I think four points on that occasion, uh, finished eighth. But it was, uh, you know, I, I should I should know. I think it was about sort of seventeenth or eighteenth, or maybe even further behind on the grid. But are those two for you, Stoffel, the ones that that kind of stand out this season? Just from a, I suppose, just from a sort of pleasure point of view of, of getting a race nailed from adversity in that way.
2: Yeah, they they definitely do, and um, you know, Berlin is is certainly one that I've uh, I've mentioned before um and berlin is usually a track where we've you know we've gone well as a as a team and and i think you know that second race it definitely showed that it suits our car as well with uh, with four mercedes-powered cars finishing um, you know finishing in the top four um but that drive on day one um you know felt felt really really good um because i dropped back on on the start 12 13 or something after lap one and uh, and a couple of laps from the end i found myself fighting for uh, for the victory with uh, with Edo and and Jeff, so I think those moments definitely, you know, they, they stand out. Okay, it wasn't a victory on that day, but it felt like on the day it felt like I kind of recovered my championship a little bit because Edo was leading. He was you know one of my closest competitors, and and equally Jeff, he was uh, he was fighting for the win, and um, and you know my, one of my closest competitors as well. So um, it definitely felt like I. Yeah, I pulled off something special there, and and you know managed to 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 keep myself in track of the championship. Um, and then equally Marrakesh, I had a really bad qualifying. We struggled with the breaks from practice one, um, and and not only in Marrakech we struggled with the breaks. Actually, the breaks were a bit of a of the story of uh, yeah of my year. Let's say there were so many sessions where uh, FP twos where I struggled with with breaks and differences with materials um and for some you know for some reason the team managed always managed to kind of just about fix it for for qualifying by either changing material changing you know a a process and um and you know gave me something to work with but marrakesh in in some way didn't surprise me that i qualified at the back because i knew i knew it was coming that (laughs) one qualifying i was going to have a bad set of breaks and and, um, and I wasn't going to be able to do it. And that's exactly what happened there. So I think after that, the team really realized how, you know, how important it was and how serious my comments actually were about, uh, about yeah, the severity of the, of the problems. And yeah, since then we've changed some processes and, and got much better towards the end of the year. But yeah, Marrakesh was a, was a solid drive. It wasn't a lot of points, but coming from, I think it was 20th on the grid, um in you know in a in a, a very different kind of racing now where you basically have all the good guys at the front to come back through and to finish eight was uh yeah was was definitely the best i could have uh, could have done and those four points definitely yeah they they you know might not seem like they made a difference to my campaign but it it, it certainly did
0: did um that change in qualifying where it meant we were in a a more normal performance-based order, did it make it more enjoyable for you, knowing that you were racing against people who were similar to where you were in the championship rather than having to battle back? You know, if you didn't make it out of your qualifying group one, then you're always on the back foot right from the start of the weekend.
2: It it certainly did, yes. And, um, you know, I think definitely because of this new qualifying format with, you know, we've had a very different championship with kind of consistently the same the same drivers, um, but also the same teams qualifying qualifying at the front, and and I think it made Excel um, the, the the more consistent drivers, let's say over over the course of the season. And it was it, there was also a lot more pressure involved for the whole year because you know last year you could one race you're in Group Two or Group Three and. You just know that with the track advantage, you're going to qualify at the front, even if you're not putting in the perfect lap. You are, you're there or thereabouts, or you're you made it to superpole, and then you know, then you're starting the top six already. And and then you know, the next day you're back into group one, and you kind of know, okay, well, I just got to do a good lap, and then we see where we end up on the grid. But usually last year, from group one, you qualify, you know, if you qualify close to the top ten, that was already. a a huge result this year it was just um yeah it was just every time every every day was a new day and a new opportunity to well to score good points but it was also an opportunity to get it wrong and and you know that just meant with the competitive nature of this championship every every qualifying session you had to be on it you had to deliver those laps and and i think i've been yeah i've been able to to pretty much do that all year We've not always qualified on pole, but we we were the most, you know, the most times in the duels, and um, and I've always kind of been able to put myself in a position to to race from from one of the top positions and then convert that into into solid points.
0: I mean, this is probably a little bit of an unfair question, but do you think the championship's more legitimate now because of the the way of that qualifying system works? has taken out those sort of random results where people were. Penalised not necessarily for anything that they'd done wrong.
2: Well, I I definitely think so. If you look, you know, if you just look at the year itself and 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 the way that the points were were going, um, you know, it's it's created much more consistency. Um, Often the top ten or the top eight now, you saw you pretty much saw the same faces. Let's say they were not always in the same order, but it was it was always the same guys and and you know the same teams as well. Um, it, it didn't always give the opportunity anymore to 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 the people that are you know that were at the back end that could you know last year could qualify at the front for for times. so it definitely created more consistency and and yeah it just made an, a nicer story for the championship i feel last year we came into berlin 17 guys were were able to to win a championship whilst the uh, you know obviously we started with a lot of people being able to to win a championship but as the season went along, we started to have a picture of, you know, which guys are, are actually going to fight for the championship. And yeah, I think that, that, that made it a bit more fair.
0: Given you were effectively racing the same guys, racing, race out, Sam mentioned how you'd been degrassi in, in Mexico. Leon. Um, who did you most enjoy fighting against and who did you, you know, have a little bit of a sigh if you were coming up behind them, knowing you were going to make hard work of you overtaking them?
2: Um, I mean, definitely the you know the the three other title contenders so Mitch Edo and and Jeff, um, yeah, we've we've seen each other on track quite often this year. I think Jeff is a, he was a, he was a tough one to fight on track. Um, he's he's one of those guys. He's he's super good at defending. He's always very good at positioning his car. And whenever I was coming up to him, I, I knew that it was gonna be extremely hard to overtake him and uh, yeah that happened on a number of occasions um whilst Edo and Mitch I feel were a, a, a bit different they for them it was more about like the raw pace that they were able to show at, uh, at at a lot of occasions you know Edo when he was on it he was he was very very tough to beat was you know excellent in qualifying uh, and was often going on to you know to win the race and and similar to Mitch you know it I think Jaguar, the peaks that they've had this year were were incredible. And, you know, whenever they had those days, I think Mitch was, uh, was able to pull them off. So, um, yeah, credits to them as well.
0: You mentioned in one of your earlier answers about balancing the need to get points for the team's championship versus getting what you need for the drivers. But all racing drivers are ultimately selfish, right? You're the one that's crowned world champion. But how, how did you... Ha- how hard is it to balance that when you're behind the wheel actually doing the, the driving?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, obviously myself personally, uh, I really wanted to win this, this championship. Um, you know, I felt like last year, um, things didn't always go my way. And I, I, you know, obviously had this moment in London where, um, my, my proper chance of, of having a fair fight in Berlin got, got taken away. Um, and, and this year I was kind of more in, in control, let's say, and and at you know, frankly I almost can't really remember a, a big setback, let's say. For sure we had some issues through the year and, and instances we had to we had to deal with, but in general the year was, was quite smooth and, and and extremely consistent. So obviously I wanted to win it and and going into into the last round Personally, I wanted to conclude the drivers' championship, but equally, you know, it was the last race for Mercedes, the last the last race weekend, and and I wanted to win the, the constructors as well. So that's why, you know, the pressure was was on in 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 Seoul because I had to score the points. Venturi was very close. The Cheetah were very close, and they both have have very very strong drivers as well that were, that you know that are able to score to score big results. Um, so yeah, I had to do both basically.
0: As you say, that was the final race for Mercedes. Um, there must be a hint of sadness that the whole project is ending now, but I guess a good way to send it off.
2: It's obviously, yeah, it's sad that they're going, You you know, I've been with them since the very beginning when we started as HWA and, you know, I really started this project together, together with them. And we've been through through a lot of difficult times uh, a lot of very good times and um yeah i'm, I'm, I'm proud of what we've uh, we've been able to achieve in such a sh- short time you know um whenever you know when i when i joined them a few years ago i was i was so convinced and and so certain that these guys were able to or were going to be able to give me a competitive package and that's you know that's exactly what they've uh, they've done but um uh, you know, it didn't come easy. It, it's 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 very strong competition in Formula E. Everyone has been so on it and and the margin just became smaller and smaller year after year, which is also quite natural when you get to the end of uh, of, of of an era of, uh, of of the same car, basically. You know, the homologation stayed the same, so there wasn't a lot of development. So it was all about the the finest margins in the end to yeah to be able to, to keep an edge. So yeah, I, I feel very proud of the the work that we did the the moments that we went through and obviously it's it's sad to see them go but uh i guess that's part of life you know things come and go and i'm just happy that uh, yeah we made the we made a piece of history
0: so you're off to a new team now with a new teammate and a new car um you probably can't go into too many details but when did you get a chance to to move into uh next season mode
2: um well first of all i'm 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 gonna enjoy a little bit this uh, this World Championship. Uh, you know, the last part of the season has been so so intense with uh, with you know all the races uh, back to back and and with only one week in between. So it was it was really going from one race straight into the simulator, then straight into the next race. So there hasn't been a lot of a lot of downtime at all this uh, this end of the season. So I'm actually looking forward to have a little bit of a break, um, and then then yeah, I'll start work on. On, on the next generation of cars with uh, with, with my new team, um, it's going to be a big change. I personally don't really know yet what to what to expect. How you know Gen three is going to be, what the the kind of the key elements will be of that car to to be competitive, and and you know in some way I'm I'm very excited about that as well because it it you know just changes things up again. It's uh, it, it's something where as a driver and as a team i feel like you can make a big difference that's usually you know the first year when when there's regulation changes there's always one team that that has a little bit of an edge over the others because they figured something out so hopefully i can play a, a big part in that and we can create something like that as well and and turn up uh, yeah turn up strong for uh, for the first races and 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 hopefully fight for victories and championships again
0: Absolutely. So what, what's a summer break look like for you? Are you hitting the beach or are you more like a hiking in the hills, man?
2: Um, well, I'm, I'm going to enjoy the sun a bit. I'm down in Monaco. I've decided not to, uh, not to take any planes. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to stay here, um, stay around in the South of France for, uh, for just a week really, because next week I'm, I'm off to Spa already. It's a, uh, um, you know, it's a Belgian Grand Prix. I'm going to be there with Mercedes as a, as a reserve driver. So yeah, I decided I didn't want to I didn't want to move too much and, and I haven't spent a lot of days at home this year as well. So it's not too bad to be here.
0: Well, I think you've uh, deserved a chance to put your feet up and just enjoy the sunshine for a little bit. Thank you for joining us so much, Stoffel. We'll let you go and uh, enjoy that break. And a huge congratulations once again on a world championship winning campaign.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you five dollars for every twenty you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine—you name it. Find out how to get your five dollar rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll: Less work, more clean.
0: Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. So, Sam, it was great having Stoffel with us. Um, as as we talked about last race for Mercedes, they were only in the championship for a few seasons, but their star burned very bright. What was their legacy?
1: It did. I think. I think it's a remarkable legacy. You know, I talked to Ian James last Thursday. I think it was before the championships were wrapped up, and talked to him at length just about what the legacy was, and he, he sort of alluded to me that the initial objective, and, and get this, this was something I found remarkable, was that internally they were talking about getting their first title in season 10, which is 2024. Right, That was their long-term goal, which I found really interesting and fascinating. You know, you kind of, I had to double-check that because I'm sure that, that he meant season ten, but he did. It, it isn't that astonishing to look back at it now. You know, when you look at it in isolation and they've they're now um back to back champions both with drivers and and the teams too. It, it, it's funny also because at the start of their first proper campaign after HWA when they had that sort of by proxy uh recce season. in nineteen and twenty, there were a few races I recall, in particularly in Santiago when DeVries Lost the podium from a team error on the grid, and then Stoffel shunted in Mexico, threw a bag of points away, and then they had a really really tough Marrakech where they were just nowhere. They just didn't turn up at Marrakech that season, just pre pandemic. And you thought, mm, maybe I wonder if this is going to be like a Jaguar sort of deal where they're going to struggle and and have a really tough few seasons to to find their rung on the ladder. Ultimately, that didn't come to pass. You know, there was a kind of a almost like a reset during the pandemic and they regrouped and they won that race in Berlin. And then last season, De Vries became champion and they won the teams. But, you know, when you look at the level of preparation that they've had and the, the capabilities and the, the facilities that they have there, the engineering cells in Brackley, in in Germany, which was brought over to to Brackley, and you've obviously got Bricksworth as well. Then you look at the experience and how that's interwoven into the teams. Guys like Nick Chester from you know so much experience in Formula One at Enstone, Gary Paffett, of course, who who's the team manager, who's done a you know just. From what friend I hear of the within show. the team, friend of the show, but from what I hear from other people in the team has been completely invaluable. Mm. Tony Ross, who's got bags of experience in F1, ex, ex Nico Rosberg engineer, Franco Chiacchetti, who won a title with Lucas Degrassi back in season three, ex uh, apt guy, uh, and our old pod, podcast pal, Peter McCall, of course, who's on the, the design, who has started the Gen 3 design but now has been rolled into a, a slightly different. Uh, job description there so that's you know that's next level experience right there isn't it? And, it and it just really helped to bring everything together and out um to take these these back-to-back titles
0: how much of that's going to roll out? i mean i'm sure we'll do a separate pod on this in the uh, run-up to, to the next season but how much of this is rolling over into the new mclaren entry do we know yet
1: a great deal yeah i, I again spoke to ian about that i think I, I, is he I, going he is, of course, yeah. He's gonna he's gonna head the thing up. I mean, he'll be an integral part of it. We've got a piece on the hyphen uh, the hyphenrace dot today or tomorrow, maybe tomorrow actually Wednesday. We're, we're talking about of this week, which goes into great detail about um, Ian, not just Ian, but how the whole legacy uh, will be perceived and how the Mercedes EQ success was enabled to happen through the structures that were built from a lot of those senior team people that I mentioned. And I think in relation to what's going to carry over to the Neon McLaren team for next season, I wouldn't want to give a percentage, but you know, I'm assuming that it's the vast majority of what they have at the moment. I mean, certainly, as far as I know, the engineering teams, the majority will stay on. They're going to have a different facility, I think is going to be uh, in the Bicester area of, of Oxfordshire. And that's going to start pretty much now. That's going to start forming now. But, um, you know, it's it's different brand, obviously. Um, I think the key thing or the interesting thing there is going to be able to understand how McLaren... Uh, what personnel and, and how much influence McLaren have for what is ultimately their, you know, it is their team and it and it will be known as Neon McLaren. So, yeah, there's there's obviously branding and marketing objectives to to tick off there. But if you have the frame of a multiple or a uh, a back to back title winning team, that is a massive leg up, even when there's a new rule set, even if. You know, when they're running as a customer team with with Nissan who are rebuilding themselves, you know, again, talking of key things, the Nissan powertrain is going to be integral to what they can achieve next season. But if you've got a solid working um, structure in there and a proven one, a proven winning one, then it just, you know, it will save them months, months and months uh, to hit the ground running next January when it all starts again in Mexico.
0: Right, well, before we get too carried away, looking forward to uh, next season, we've got the races in Seoul to properly look back at um pre-weekend Jaguar racing's Mitch Evans had an enormous uphill job to keep that title fight alive but he did in race one he did everything he could do by winning that race and he did it in a style which I you could say was Evans-esque right we've seen it so many times this year of him being you know just an excellent wheel-to-wheel racer
1: yeah, yeah. He had, um, as I said to a colleague the other day, he had his uh, pre-start, pre he had his resting Mitch face on, which, um, you know, thought <laughs> was a nice little snappy, uh, snappy title off the cuff, but uh, he just, yeah, <laughs> I, <like> had, that. <laughs> I spoke to him on Thursday, he was still a bit jet-lagged as, as I was on Thursday, he was a bit foggy, but um, he just seemed to be. There seemed to be an inevitability about him winning and taking the title to to the second day at Seoul. and um, in very difficult conditions. In qualifying, he excelled and, and started. They got that amazing start. Um, I thought he was brilliant on Saturday. Perhaps his best win of the season, and maybe even of his formery career. Yeah, yeah. I could better than Rome. Yeah, very different to Rome, but just that the fact it the fact that there was so much jeopardy. And his start, and then the movie put on Degrassi, just exquisite. You know, it's just a great move, and full of jeopardy. Yeah. You know, it was it was basically I'm coming. Well, it's in.
0: Lucas for a start,
1: right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you don't often mug Lucas, but you did on that occasion. So fair play to him. Deep down, I think because the free practice sessions earlier on the Saturday had been dry, he and the team knew fully well that that car wasn't absolutely on the pace in the dry and I think that was playing on his mind but you know the 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 weather was inclement or it was forecast to be quite inclement on Sunday ironically it didn't come until you know typical racing fashion it came later at that night you know it started it started tipping down about two hours after the race I think it played on their minds heading into Sunday but it did give them some momentum it gave them some hope it gave everyone hope that that the impossible might be able to happen but um you know, sometimes in Formula e, those miracles do happen. I mean, you know, especially at, um, especially from the point of view that um, there was jeopardy. You know, there was the rain, there was the fact that it was a new circuit, there were all kinds of. Other drivers and other teams coming to the end of their times together, so there was that schools out feeling, let's say. So you know there was a, there was plenty going on. I think from Jaguar's perspective, they tried to fix some of the issues, which were which just generally just grip, just getting into the window, getting the vehicle dynamics right. And you know the problem is now we're at the fag end of the Gen two rule set. You you know they've pretty much exhausted a lot of anything that they can do to get from you know tenth on the grid to to the front row it's just tiny tiny margins that they didn't quite have in the dry so really really tough for them but they, they gave it everything um ultimately Mitch won four races this season great haul for him a bit of compensation winning that race at Seoul on, on Saturday and, and that you know his and the team's strongest season but you know I've got a feeling that Jaguar in particular are going to be really strong in Gen 3 you know word is that they've uh, despite numerous problems with the you know the supply parts that that they have probably done a very good job in their their powertrain package for for gen 3 and um and, and they're going to be they're going to be up there again for next season for sure
0: now the thing that the race will probably be most remembered for is that eight car pileup, um which i don't i don't think i've ever seen anything quite like that without there being some sort of obvious You know, rain shower or, you know, enormous engine explosion and oil coats in the track. So, what happened exactly?
1: Well, yeah, it was a curious one. I think initially it was just really odd looking. That shunt and, and hard to understand how it happened. It, it certainly wasn't a New York style incident, was it? But um, a lot, lot slower, a lot more progressive. Difficult to put your finger on exactly what happened by watching the, the replays. Essentially, it was a combination of the track surface change there. There was a concrete patch at that point in the circuit, and that combined with the spray off the track distracted some drivers and yes there was an element of the classic lemming scenario wasn't there where some drivers are just looking at the car in front looking at those um, looking at the safety light in front and, and going by those lights and it just caught them out you know Nato went off Cassidy followed and then I spoke to Buemi actually who reckoned he had a a break issue not so sure on that one they they didn't really get back to us on what was happening there but I I think everyone just just got caught out ran out of room it, you know it looked more spectacular than it was De Vries submarine under Buemi um, he was in there for a fair while actually um, getting a bit hot for him in there in the, the humidity but they had to manage the um the, the recovery of those cars properly, I mean the irony was, about to Buemi he had very little damage on the car and probably could have followed Nato and Cassidy to get back to the pits and, and restarted the race, but they were all put on the low loaders and we had uh, we had six retirements before, you know, pretty much before the race had begun and and Lotto had to change the turbo. and yeah it was it, it it was a mess, but it was one of those that um, I think just Where you were on the track, it just that the grip and the fact that some drivers just left it too late to 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 get a proper braking distance. They all ended up in the boonies.
0: So I I think it was probably a combination of those six cars being eliminated, the fact I've not been able to sleep in the ridiculous mugginess of uh, back here. That I think it was forty degrees in London that day. It was just horrible. but I was really struggling to to make my way through that race. i the one thing I've always defended formally about is the quality of the racing, but by FU standards, God, it was boring. Um was any other particular reason for that?
1: Yeah, it was again a bit curious. I think ultimately it was a it kind of plateaued because of the drying conditions. We had these wet, damp, fully dry at the end, and I think people were just adapting to that, um, Roland said he was reasonably conservative in second. You know, he's—I it, mean, it's nosebleed territory for the Mahindra this season, isn't it? Um, been in a podium position, yeah. It's the most unRoland thing to say in the world, isn't it? That he was conservative, but I reckon it was—it was—it was just finding their feet. And you—you you look back at the history of of former e, there were very few wet or. Even damp races, probably sort of two or three, I would think that I can really remember. So, well, we hadn't even had old... a damp
0: session until we got to New York, a properly. Right. Obviously, there were those ones yeah. in London in
1: 17. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it was you know, there was an old school race of attrition vibe to it, a um, bit of survival of the fittest going on. The paddock still looked like a war zone afterwards. You know, walking down the pits and seeing these shards of stuff everywhere. You can almost hear the spark cash register ringing through the place as you walk down the classic Formula E. You know, the other thing was, although it was a mega track for 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 spectacle overtaking was actually pretty tough. It was never going to be an energy sensitive race either. So we didn't really get a dud because of the title jeopardy, etc. but it was, yeah, I agree. The mode classic. seemed
0: to cost about two temps as well. There was, this, yeah. there was, there was no jeopardy in taking that.
1: Well, they, they, they changed that, um, back on the Friday, put it further around that constant radius corner, which was, um, yeah, it was great to be in the stadium. Um, but the, you know, there was a Mickey Mouse element to that. Wasn't there, I i don't know if they could have been more creative and and done a kind of a a right angle sort of dog leg a bit more it, ultimately it was it was great for for the fans that turned up but i think for the racing not 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 brilliant and pretty narrow so um yeah a bit of a novelty value on that on those grounds uh,
0: you mentioned roland in second he, he might be conservative at the end but he was his normal elbows out uh, at the start
1: he was, yeah. Uh, in qualifying, he was just fantastic. Oh, full it was on. brilliant
0: to watch. Oh,
1: yeah. was amazing. <laughs> yeah, full-on arms and elbows, uh, you know, riding the buckaroo around a wet, a wet track like that, honing his, uh, his instincts around the streets of Barnsley when he was a youth, no doubt. I mean, it was just great to watch. Um, there's no one like Roland, really, when, when the conditions allow it. And what it showed clearly was that if you had a bit of bravery and you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to, Ride the wave literally, and and take some chances. Then you could do it, and he, and he made some serious time up a, a definite candidate for lap of the season. That I mean, he was wild-eyed afterwards. Uh, proper proper box office stuff.
0: Third was Degrassi, who's going to be his new teammate um, next season. That's going to be a spicy, uh, dynamic lineup, I think. Um, he's been on fine form at the tail end of the season, hasn't he?
1: He has done a great, uh, great job, Lucas. I mean, since. Really since what would it be? After Marrakesh, he just got it together, got his act together in qualifying. It's always been a there's always been a doubt about his qualifying, but he's found some real consistency with it with that car. I think people forget that he'd only ever driven an Audi and he'd only ever known the Audi environment uh, before he joined Venturi for the single season and, and and get into grips with the Mercedes. Very different culture there. But actually, you know, Lucas was very um was extremely pleased, really, with the the season that he's had. I think the, it was a little trough sort of mid-season where he got involved in some inevitable scrapes, but he, he's got some terrific results in qualifying, backed that up with some some really big points. And, you know, from where he was, I think, just before Marrakesh, he ended up fifth in the championship. Um, 126 points, there were three drivers on one, two, six, himself, Dennis and Frines, uh, but Lucas did it because he obviously won the race in uh, won one more race. Uh, sorry, no, Dennis won a race as well, didn't he? But he had better, um, better results on the podium. I'll count countback. Yeah. So yeah. snared fifth in the championship and kept this amazing run of, of results and positions in, in the championship. So you can't argue with that. And his Mahindra move, which we've known for some time, I think, is an interesting one. I can see there's the been mm. some combustibility with um, with Gil there. They're both very passionate individuals, so it's going to be interesting to track how that goes. Um, but, yeah, new challenge. And uh, the assumption, it's not been made public, but the assumption being that Lucas will, uh, once he finishes, once he hangs up his helmet, will, will take on the, uh, get back into his uh, boss suit and become a, a manager of some description.
0: Oh, well, that'll be intriguing when, when that happens. And uh, I mean, I don't want to wish him out of the cockpit because he's clearly still got a lot to give, but he's going to be a very interesting um, pitball personality when he gets around to that. Um, that man, Dennis, you mentioned was fourth, but we'll talk a little bit more about him uh, when we go on to race two. While fifth of Van Dorn kept the title bid ticking over nicely. Jeff was sixth, um, but he had that crash with Mortara, which got the Venturi driver a penalty. Was that deserved? Um,
1: looking at it again, I think it seemed to be a clear move under braking. I, you know, the the defensive element of formula e racing has has been a big sort of core cool celebra over the over the seasons actually, but it's, it's it's flared up this this year in particular. And I think the the rule is pretty clear. You know, you can't just change direction in a braking zone and then surprise the person who's attacking you or going for a line uh because at that point the the other guy is breaking and, and isn't in full control of of the car anyway because the move is already made so it looks
0: yeah, what's he supposed to
1: do it, it, it looked a slam dunk to me to be honest you know i didn't see anywhere that jev could have done to avoid that contact so look when the stewards get it right which i think they did here uh we shouldn't discuss it that much because like i said it's a yeah, it's a clear it's a clear breach of the rules i did a piece on this last week actually about the the consistency the application by the stewards which i still think is a salient point because next season it's going to be quicker um the car's are going to be going faster they're going to have different uh shapes the front of their cars they're open well, wheels wheels are more you know, open
0: yeah there you
1: go. yeah i mean there's much more chance of cars you know doing that that thing that we don't want to see cars doing, which is wheel-on-wheel contact and and start you know start getting inverted and, and going in directions you don't want them to go. So it has to be looked at, and I think it, it probably will be in the off-season. And I think one of those things is we need some relatively more experienced driver advisors. I think um, with all respect to Paul Belmondo, Pedro Alami and Enrique Bernaldi, um, I don't believe they've ever driven a Formula E car, and they certainly aren't aware of the intricacies and the nuances of racing Formula E cars so um I think that that's that's a clear thing that the drivers and teams are uh, are informing the FIA and Formula E about for for the start of Gen 3.
0: We'll rattle through the rest of the points which was Pascal Airline in 7th, uh, Robin Frein's 8th, the Costa ninth, and the final point uh, for Nick Cassidy in 10th. Um, we mentioned him very briefly in the uh, Um, eight car pileup. Um, Norman Nato stood in for the injured Sandbird. He did a pretty decent job given the circumstances.
1: Yeah, he was he was pretty unlucky actually. It it didn't all go for Norman, um, but he, he did a good job. He had he had some decent free practice times and, um, yeah, it just you know that that accident that he had um, one of one of eight really scuppered him. Got back into the race and, th- and then got a penalty. Um, but yeah, I think I think he did everything that that was asked of him. I think he you know uh, s- snaffling a couple of points would have been um, some decent reward for him. But um, yeah, I think from his point of view, it's 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 good. It's a good reintegration into into racing from from his point of view because. I'm. I'm. I think he's got a very good shout um, for that second Nissan seat next season, uh, alongside Sasha Fenestraz, which is news that we we brought uh, brought you just after the the London race. So yeah, I'm expecting to see Norman back in uh, back in back in full action next season. Well,
0: we'll talk a bit about Sasha now when we move on to uh, to race two. Um, basically, after the qualifying, it was game over with Evans. Uh, effectively at the back of the field. What happened there?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, really just going over the points made earlier. The vehicle dynamically just didn't happen for for Jaguar at the weekend. There's there's these very fine windows of getting the tyres into the right uh, operating window and, and and making them stick on on certain tracks and it just didn't suit the Jaguar in fully dry conditions. Um, struggled a bit with the rear tires and just couldn't get the sectors together. And when it's you know when it's two or three tenths off, that's the difference between getting through those all important group sessions and and not making the uh, or not making the qualifying uh, the deal. So. Mitch didn't make it, and all of a sudden he was he was way down the grid. I think he started thirteenth, and from there he had to win the race, and that was always going to be pretty much an impossibility. He, he, you know, he plugged away and he got some points, and he was on the tail of Vern at the end of the race. But you know, you only get so far. Stoffel alluded to it earlier, didn't he? The, the more hierarchical structure of racing this season, the higher you go, the the less chance you're probably going to get of, of making up positions as you did last season so a uh, combination of things there and, and yeah very frustrated for for, for Mitch and he, he made you know he never gave up until the end but um, he must have known it the latest half distance that unless a, a rain shower came, I mean, he did get a safety car, which did help a little bit, but ironically that safety car came as he just started his attack zone. So he kind of, you know, what, what was given to him with one hand was taken away with another, which kind of is a nice little encapsulation of Formula E, isn't it? This season, but um, yeah, he kept plugging away, got some points, but he, you know, the miracle just didn't happen.
0: Yeah. It was a pity there wasn't a bit more jeopardy. I think we'd had such a brilliant title fight all the way through the season that, you know, you know uh, three three races ago there's no way we would have said it would effectively be done and dusted going into this last race yet there we were with van Dorn, really just having to uh, i mean cruise and collectors is is doing him a huge injustice but he all he had to do was make sure he didn't do anything wrong and you would have never imagined the season was going to end like that
1: no no i think everyone was looking for the for the big hollywood headlines weren't they or getting some traditional formulary craziness. And I was expecting it, you know, the the weather was the thing that everybody was looking at. It never happened. Uh, But then actually, apart from that whole sort of, I mean, amusingly the FIA, um, after that big shamozzle at the start of the race, and it was a shamozzle, not a melee. It was definitely a (laughs) shamozzle with, you know, half the grid sort of boshing into each other and bits of Gen 2 flying into the air I think um, Sete Camera had, like, half a car in that, in that first. It was, like, entirely fitting that Gen 2 should finish like this. But, you know... The, oh, it was so perfect. Yeah, <laughs> but there was... It, you know, it didn't... It wasn't what we expected. We expected a, a bit more. And I think once the race settled, and we knew that Van Dorn played this really cute race of just keeping out of trouble, doing what he needed to do. But for somebody in that position, you know, he didn't do a... You know, there was no chance van Dorn was going to do a carlos Reutemann, was that you know oh, no. he, he wasn't going to lose his head it was always going to be it was always going to be more a nelson pk type run to whatever he needed but actually when it came to it he got second place in that race so um he did it he did it in a sweet way and it was it was it was good to see that because he could easily have just you know dialed out Got you know, got his head on the head in the beach and and finished sort of eleventh or twelfth. He didn't need to get any points, did he? But he he was he was racing to the flag and he, and he got that second, um, although by dint of J- Jake Dennis's penalty, which we'll will come on to shortly. I think.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, first a bit of props to the ultimate race winner, which is O Mortara. He's had a, a very strong season. Had those few races where he didn't score, which really blunted his title charge. But you know, he's he's got. Good reason to be happy with the way that the season panned out, I would say.
1: Massively. Yeah, he's done a terrific job. I mean, you know, he, uh, we talked about New York and London, didn't we? So we're not going to rub any salt into those wounds because when yeah, you no, look at no it. No need
0: to retrace that.
1: <laughs> no, no, he, he, he doesn't want that. He knows and, and Venturi know what happened there. But, you know, you look at that dearth of points. He, he scored five points in four races I'm, at those two I'm double yeah. headers, and he finished. He only finished. Um, he only finished forty-four points off Van Dorn. So if you if you look at the previous double headers, he you know in, in Berlin he, he won and was second. You know even in De, in De at the start he won a race and finished I think sixth you add those points together, 33 points, you know, he should have been second in the championship, no doubt about it. Um, but he didn't. And it was a combination of, of team errors and his own errors and, and just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. But getting that out of the way, what a fantastic season matched Evans for race wins with four race wins. He's the strongest he's ever been. And and if he, if he could, if he could look at what Van Dorn did and stitch together, you know, those races where he didn't score, the, there was Rome, there was Monaco, there was um, the two London races, the first Seoul race as well. There are five races where he didn't score points. You know, Even in three of those those races, if he'd have got middle, you know, medium-sized points, um, he would have got second for sure and maybe even have, have, have challenged Van Dorn more.
0: Yeah, you, you put a smatter in a fifth and sixth places in there and he's right up there.
1: Exactly, and he's in the same car as Van Dorn. Not the same team, the same car. He's got the same equipment. Um, obviously, some you know differences and nuances and software and various things. Yeah, but ultimately, the best ever season for Venturi is the last season for Venturi. They're going to become Maserati next season. We're expecting Mortara to stay, which he will. And if they have a strong package, which would they will because they'll essentially have the DS powertrain, which DS have consistently brought forth really strong packages then mortara is a, an absolute definite title contender but he has to you know he has to he has to fill those those holes which are which were so evident at crucial times this season
0: yeah absolutely um let's talk about that clash between uh, dennis and da costa that promoted van to second
1: yeah um it was an interesting one really i think um i think it was harsh um DaCosta got a run, was in attack mode. Dennis was on the inside. Um, He raced fairly, claimed the inside. DaCosta was, what was he, 80% ahead of Dennis. But, of course, Dennis has got, you know, at that stage, he's on the inside. And he was pretty much on the curb as far as I saw. I think, if anything, Antonio was maybe a little bit conservative on the brakes could maybe have taken a slightly wider line and they could have made it and made a bit more room for each other. Um, from DaCosta's point of view, you know, he will say Dennis shouldn't have been fighting because he was going to get his attack mode anyway, the next lap probably, and go back through. Whatever he happened, it came down to it and DaCosta lost out and um, was, was at the back of the grid. Dennis said that he, he couldn't do anything about it. And from what it looks like on the replays, he, he, I would say that I, you know, I've pretty much agree with that but we have to caveat oh, this i have a
0: lot of sympathy for the for the costa but that's almost a definition of race and incident well, i was
1: just Surely. yeah i was just going to say you know is there do, do racing incidents exist these days we've talked about this before haven't we they don't seem to um because somebody appears to have to be at fault for these things sometimes it's just a racing accident whereas in football sometimes it's just a meaty challenge isn't it and and two players you know have a gash leg or whatever but it's just too two guys going or two people going for the same for the same space or the same ball i mean it's just one of those um one of those things and uh i saw that as a racing accident the stewards didn't and they they penalized dennis but he did a great job in pulling that back and shed some amazing pace to to just get third he just pipped uh france to get a a well-deserved podium
0: they've had a good end to the season haven't they andretti um Obviously, it's all massive change for for them there, but you would have to think that Porsche are are going to be one of the better prepared teams for the next gen. They could be in a good place next year.
1: I think they will be. I think it was a really shrewd... Move by by Roger Griffiths and the the Andretti Avalanche Andretti guys to, to get that deal. I see Porsche. I mean, I think Porsche such a wretched end to the season. You know, you look at the last half of the season; it's just you know that's 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 beyond poor. I mean, they've just been an absolute disaster, really. And um, yeah, it's almost like half of it was you know one eye off this. Let's get on to Gen Three, and and the hope just is just
0: mediocre.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, yeah, I think that's um. I, th- I think that's actually pretty uh yeah that's pretty a, a pretty soft description i think the, there's been so many mistakes and there's been so many things that have gone wrong there that it, yeah it's like they've just completely given up on gen two and and are just on gen three now uh, that that's a favorable opinion i i hope that's the case because i think uh, what we've seen in the second half of this season is uh it's a bit disturbing really when you look at the points that that they have uh, missed on and we did a piece on Pascal Verlein and the amount of points that he lost and he could have been in the sort of at least the top six of the championship but Porsche finished seventh in the championship Unbelievable from Jakarta from Jakarta they scored 18 points in seven races um, and they were you know they ended up 16 points behind Andretti who um, you know essentially a new team this season with uh, a driver lineup that consists of one complete rookie and one guy in his second season of the championship, so uh, yeah, big surprise there. But um, I've just got a feeling that that Porsche, yeah, I, I can't remember Porsche having two really bad seasons in anything, let alone um, let you know, let, let alone anything that just goes on and on. So. I really think that Jaguar and Porsche will enter Gen 3 as the two teams, the two manufacturers to beat because a lot of their focus, resource, and capability are going on this new rule set. Um, So, uh, yeah, but uh, that has to be the big hope for Porsche because there's, you know, I I spoke very um, briefly to Thomas Laudenbeck who was, uh, and this was before the race, this was uh, sort of after qualifying, and and his demeanour was not... uh, yeah was not convivial let's
0: say um quick shout out to uh that rookie oliver Askew, you ended his season with a career best fifth um are we going to see him back in formally e again
1: yeah he had a really strong race again he's, he's sort of second one in in the last two meetings london and um and Seoul, uh fourth and a fifth good end to the season for oliver i, I it doesn't look great for him next season which is uh, i think a, you know similar to sort of nato last 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 campaign I think you know Formula E is such a specialist thing that you do need a second season but obviously we mentioned the Porsche deal and there are certain pressures and certain factions wanting to get Andre Lotterer into that seat alongside Jake Dennis for next season that's the way it seems to be going I don't believe it's absolutely decided and signed and sealed so there could still be some hope for Askew but I think it's there's more likelihood that he will go back to he will go back stateside, um, which is which is a shame in a way because uh, on his day he's been he's been a very promising uh, rookie in Formula E this season. I think he can he can ultimately hold his head up high with a fifth and a fourth, and he got some points on his debut in doria So yeah, far from uh, far, far from a poor season. I just think that that sort of mid season trough and going to Jakarta, uh, which was new to everybody, and and kind of just not not really achieving much in Jakarta was ultimately what, what probably did for him.
0: Uh, Robin Frins was 4th in his final race for Envision Jev was 6th in his last outing for Tachita, we mentioned that Evans made it up to 7th uh, Cassidy was 8th and Buemi was ninth in what ends the longest relationship in Formula E you know obviously he's been at E-Dams through the Nissan and uh, the Renault guys uh, but out with a with a little bit of a whimper, probably there, Sam.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, in the context of what he achieved in Gen One, uh, Gen 2's not been fantastic for for Buemi, um, but he's you, know, you don't lose you don't lose it overnight. And, and when the circumstances are right, he's pulled out some very good performances this season. I thought he's he's been really good this season in a limited car. Um, they've had an issue with a homologated part on that car that they can't change, so they've had to suffer a lot of pain as they did last season with the Nissan IM02 and and I think Maximilian gunther's uh, results kind of prove that this season you know that it, that it's not a Buemi thing it's very much a car thing or the majority of it has been a car thing um and it'll be strange not to see him in those um with an edams patch on his uh, overalls won't it it's
0: gonna be so weird yeah
1: yeah it's um you know he's not been confirmed at Envision yet but he will be in the coming weeks uh, or maybe next month so a new challenge for him and um yeah i think he's still got a lot to give you know he's one of those people isn't he that you think has been around he must be what he must be lotter's age sort of early 40s he's He's not he's not even what is he? He's born in eighty eight, so he's thirty
0: three he's not something.
1: he's only thirty three. Thirty five. Which is astonishing yeah. from what he's achieved in his career, you know. Four-time Le Mans winner, um, Formula E winner, had those th- three seasons, I think, in Formula One. Fantastic career. And I just I just hope he sort of has this, you know, this Patrese-esque Indian summer because I think he's entirely capable of doing it. And I think he and Cassidy will be a really strong proposition. But, yeah, it must have been an emotional day for him. I, I did chat to him in uh, London about it and we'll do a feature in the off-season about his time with Edams. And, uh, you know, he's... he's um, a lot of people think he's a bit of a cold fish, but when you get to know him, he's he's terrific, and he's a he's hugely yeah. passionate racer. And you know, he's he's the the sort of twinkle in his eye when he talks about Jean Paul Drio in particular is is great. So uh, yeah, it'd be we should it,
0: try and get him on one day.
1: We'll do it. Yeah, let's let's do it. We'll yeah. do it in the off season. It's uh, be good to talk when it's official. We'll be good to talk about some of the old days and the memories of Jean Paul as well.
0: Um, final point to Decosta for in his last race for Chichita. Are we going to see them? On the grid next season?
1: Still unknown. Um had some discussions with um parties close to that at the weekend. I think I think with every day that goes by the, the chances of it diminish. Um they have to seal a powertrain imminently to uh to get this off the ground. But again, we're, we're sort of going over old old ground to some extent, aren't we? Because this time last year we were talking about new investors and how the Chinese are gonna, you know, pass it on to new investors and it's still not done and ultimately whatever we like to talk about racing sportingly technically uh strategy marketing commercial or whatever it comes down to that last point it comes down to the commercial it comes down to the money and and that's what will kickstart saving this team uh this team that's achieved so much and uh yeah just remarkable that it's got to this position let's hope that these diminishing, this diminishing percentage of percentage of them getting back onto the grid, um, or remain on the grid for next season, um, come off. But at the moment, it doesn't look, it doesn't look fantastic. No.
0: Oh, it'll be a, a massive pity. I really hope they somehow uh, pull it through. Um, we mentioned uh, earlier that. Uh, Fenestres is probably going to be uh, one of those Nissan drivers. And he, he got an early Formula E debut when he replaced uh, Giovinazzi who hurt his hand in race one. I mean, it was, it was, he can't judge a, a driver on, on being thrown into the deep end like that. But he, he seemed to acquit himself pretty well.
1: He did, did a very, very good job, considering that he didn't know until six o'clock in the morning that he was going to deputise for Giovinazzi who uh, bruised his thumb. In the uh, in an incident with I think De Costa and and then he exacerbated it with uh, with a brush with uh, Sims who got penalised for that contact and and Giovanazzi was not cleared to race on Sunday morning or, or Saturday night strange one that I followed him into the track um, on Sunday morning and he, the the strapping had been removed from his thumb and um, you know there was there was no um, there was nothing on his hand um, so yeah. I, I, Fenestraz was drafted in, did a terrific job, good racing knowledge and racing experience for for next season. Um, I expect him to be one of the really exciting rookies that we've had in recent seasons. And I think uh, depending on Nissan's restructure and the, the 100% Nissan team that has been formed by Tommaso Volpe and Vanson Gallardo um, at Nissan, uh, if that all comes off and that they have a, a strong powertrain for Gen 3, then I think Fenestras will be a really exciting prospect in that car. As for Giovinazzi, I don't know what to say. It's been so desperate. Um, when you look at the last two seasons, he has scored zero points in Formula 1 and zero points in um, in Formula E. and We always thought he was on a hiding to nothing, and so it proved. I'm kind of torn between feeling a bit sorry for him um, because he was on that hiding to nothing with, with Dragon Pensky, and also sort of trying to understand who advised him to take that seat in the first place. It just ended wretchedly. And um, the fact that he sat out the last race, but predictably,
0: right? Predictably.
1: predictably but, you know, d- yeah. 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 yeah pr- completely predictable. And um, yeah, I just feel sorry for the people in his team who, you know, work flat out and they work so hard and um, you know he he misses the last race with a bruised thumb, and um, you know doesn't talk to the media and just um, you know, puts out a sort of rambling message on on Instagram. But it's just a, a pretty it's a pretty poor way to end any kind of.
0: It's not good enough, is it? Really? Nah,
1: no, and I you know I think most people know that. Um, but uh, yeah, he's going to go on to new things, and, and hopefully his career can recover from this, and he can um, he can do something elsewhere.
0: One thing we haven't really discussed, uh, Sam, is that, you know, formerly he turned up in a new city. Um, we saw terrible images of the flooding and the stuff in Seoul beforehand, although I understand it was nowhere near the stadium. Um, what was it like as an event? I mean, sadly, that was it. Hold 80,000. They they needed to bus a few more people in to, uh, to fill the seats up, didn't they?
1: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. Um, it was... It was a true event. It was very different to London, albeit similarities in the fact that it used perimeter roads around a big arena, in this case an Olympic stadium. I mean, it had that real Olympic village festival vibe to it. That was all fantastic. They did a great job in difficult circumstances, as you said, with the weather, which these tropical storms which flooded half of the area that I'm sat in now in, in Gangnam across the bridge from the Olympic Stadium. Um the thing that i uh, the thing that was completely obvious was the fact that there weren't many fans there um there was a claim made in the local media that 50,000 fans were there now if they were they were either they were either hiding from the occasional heavy monsoon shower or they were dressed as pikachus um one or the other because i just couldn't see um, Fifty thousand people, uh, or close to that. But listen, this is motor racing, isn't it? We're used to these elaborate uh, claims of how many, uh, how many, how many fans are <laughs> yeah. at these things. Pinch the anyway, soul all round. <laughs> I mean, that apart, uh, a terrific job to get the thing on. It had a really nice vibe. You know what Formula E is doing in these new territories of Jakarta and and Seoul in Asia is is fantastic. And I think legacy wise, if this can be built on, they can reduce the cost of the tickets because. The talk locally was of these pretty excessive um, um, charges for tickets, and, that, and they can, you know, they have to build a fan base here to 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 make it this this festival, which they did. But I, you know, I, I didn't see the people at the track, and I spent one of the free practice sessions in the stadium and it was just fantastic. But how much more fantastic would it be if there was, you know, if there was 20,000 in there at least, and then there certainly wasn't, um, very atmospheric very you know some great sort of living sporting history there with the 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 solo olympics and you you and i are old enough to remember um
0: oh very clearly
1: yeah Yeah. the um the the sort of great olympic games that it was and all that is around there and it it just felt yeah very different very unique event um but i I loved it i thought formerly did a great job Uh, the fia did a great job the circuit was terrific didn't bring the racing we thought But I think if they, you know, I think they've got a a long-term deal for this race, if they can build on that and and make some slight tweaks maybe in the stadium section and they can get some bums on seats in that stadium, it could be, you know, it could be a really, really strong event. But it's exactly the kind of event that Formula E should be doing.
0: Oh, that's what I was going to say. It's the the sort of city, big, high-tech, you know, Samsung and uh, and other tech companies based there, young population. Um, I think, yeah, maybe they need to... uh, uh, look at their strategy towards um, ticketing prices for for next season if what you told me is true
1: exactly yeah you've got to you've got to build these things for for seasons to come and um, I think I think they've got a lot of things right but you've got to have a crowd there haven't you and I think um, you, you know the, as far as I know the kids are on school holidays similar sort of thing to, to, to Europe you know, give get get schools involved, get um, youth organisations involved, um, and that you know, there's I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if this is fanciful, but you know, uh, there is a legacy aspect to what they achieved in the Olympics. there. that whole area is all about the Olympics it's 30 nearly 35 years ago you know could could there be an IOC legacy event or something i don't know i'm just putting things out there but there there needs to be a bigger there needs to be more people in and around the pit lane in and around the paddock um and obviously the the stadium is is great but it's not as if they need to be there for a for a long time there was the alliance um E village, and there were various other things with the festival, but um, yeah, I mean it was obvious that the the, the host broadcasters had been uh, informed to let's let's say put, keep it tight, shall we say? I think they say in the business keep the the frames tight, so not too much of the empty grandstands are seen.
0: Well, from something that's clearly got a future, it's worked on to something that's got a past, and that's the the Gen 2 car, which uh, that was its final race, and um I think some of those uh, tired old chassis after that that will probably be quite grateful for it um it was a, It was a great car for Formula E, there wasn't. It? it did what it was uh, set up well, you know, what it was charged to do.
1: I think so, yeah. I think it will be much missed. Um, it had that sort of very distinctive otherworldliness to its construction Brought some great racing. formerly grown up from the Gen One era. Obviously, they were they were quite robust vehicles. We saw, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we saw plenty of business for Spark. Um, the rules were adapted to suit that because there was too much contact, as we saw in, in season five. That was addressed. I think that evidenced the the flexibility of what the FIA are doing. Uh, but I I think ultimately it'll be that the legacy will be the the quality of the racing, and from what I saw almost race in, race out. We got some terrific racing. I mean, you rarely get a dud. We talked about Seoul not being fantastic. It's very much the um, exception to the norm. So, yeah, I I mean, looking at it from another point of view, you could say, well, if it was so great, why did three major OEMs leave the championship in, in BMW, Audi and Mercedes? And yeah, that, that's a discussion that could go on and on. So, yeah, um,
0: yeah, that's way more complicated than just going down to the yeah. to the car, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that, that that's true. That's true, and and you, the car can't be held responsible for for those decisions. But it did all happen in a very close proximity, and yes, it involved the pandemic and so many other things. But yeah, when you uh, when you look at that car and what it achieved, I think it will be remembered as uh, sort of pivotal a pivotal package, technical package for Formula E. Um, and it'll be sad to see it go, but, you know, Gen 3 is the next big thing. A lot of work needs to be done on that. A lot of things, um, a lot of things, love boxes have to be ticked before we get to Valencia in December. Um, but if everything that the FIA and Formula E state is correct, then the Formula 3 car, um, taking away the aesthetics of it, because that's, you know, that's in the eye of the beholder, as we, as we said before, if it does what it says in the in the um, in the spec precy, it's gonna be seriously impressive. And we're gonna see, especially around places like Seoul, we're gonna see cars two or three abreast around particularly T twenty and, and, and the first t- first turn. You know, they're gonna be able to race wheel to wheel um at places that gen 2 didn't so i think looking to the positive that's what we can look forward to in in 23
0: oh new stuff's always exciting and it's going to be a complete reset of the competitive order i mean until we have seen some testing times i mean literally anybody could uh, be quickest right so finally sam um we mentioned a few of the the driver deals that have been confirmed but any other news you want to cover off before we wrap this uh, extra long pod up
1: yeah, I think above and beyond the Lucas to Mahindra, we, we ran a story about Sergio, Sergio Sete Camera moving to Neo for next season. That appears to be pretty much uh, done. We anticipate that he will will race there. Whether that spells he's the, good
0: value. I like watching him. Yeah,
1: I think he deserves a place on the grid. Um, you know, Neo obviously Neo three 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 will have a lot of work to do. But if um if Sete Camera is, is involved in that, then they've got a real firebrand and somebody who can can hustle hustle results. Um that's been proven. The likelihood is that, that Dan Ticton will stay in that team, so um where that yeah where that's uh, where that position I mean by the way, let's let's make a, a mention for Dan Tickton qualifying seventh on on oh, Sunday. No, I mean what that. a lap. You talked about laps of the season with Roland and uh and maybe da Costa for pole, but getting hustling a Neo three through three into seventh is uh yeah, well worth a mention. So well done to him and, and his team for getting getting into the duels for the first time. Um but apart from that De Costa has been confirmed at Porsche, which we we knew from a few months ago, which is going to be exciting for next season. He joins Pascal Verline. Uh Sebastian Buemi we, we talked about a bit before is on his way to Envision and has confirmed officially that he will leave Nissan Edam so um and said that he'll be on the grid for next season so that that deal is completed and um and yeah, plenty more plenty more to come. I think there will be a succession of announcements throughout the latter half of August and, and throughout September, so uh, lots to look forward to on the dot com.
0: Brilliant. Well, I'll let you uh, get off to your uh, karaoke or Korean barbecue or whatever it is you are going to do. I am very jealous. I've always wanted to go to Seoul, um, but me- next year maybe.
1: Yeah. Well, we've we've got a we, we've got a position at the bar for your VDB. So uh, definitely come next May. I think it's May next season is the is the schedule. So uh, it's it's a great place to visit. And I think, as I said, with Gen Three, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be some fantastic racing here
0: all right well thanks sam enjoy your break and thank everyone for listening we'll be back with a season review as promised at some point soon and uh, obviously keep an eye on the dot race.com for all of sam's latest news goodbye letter.